Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, I guess I'll start us off by saying welcome to the University of Washington version of Advocacy Podcast. I am Jessica Balsam, and I'm the Senior Director of Prospect Development, and I'll have my colleagues introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Dan Peterson. I'm the university's Vice President for Development, and I also serve as the President of the University of Washington Foundation. I am Lee Heck. I am the Senior Associate Vice President for Development Programs. I have the privilege to support and work with all of the programs at the center of the university that are focused on the development and fundraising enterprise, including prospect development. And at the University of Washington in our robust central and university-wide partnership, our school and college programs all have advancement teams. And we have a big, robust advancement team at the center of the university, and we work in great partnership together. Yeah, so let's we'll, we'll kind of flesh out our roles a little bit. I should say I just took this role as senior director in May. Well, congratulations! Thank you. Whenever people are listening to this, I should say I've had it for about six months, and I'm sure throughout this conversation we will reference Susan Hayes McQueen, who was my predecessor in this role and who is still at the University of Washington in a new role and still working as my boss. Which lucky me! And we have about six hundred ish. Staff in advancement? About 640. 640. So we're fairly large, probably larger than I would say most of the shops in the country, right? And advancement at the University of Washington comprises three big pillars. So the development pillar, which is the traditional fundraising pillar, university marketing communications, which is all of communications and marketing for the entire university and not just advancement communications. And the third pillar is what we call alumni and stakeholder engagement. It's led by the person who heads our alumni association, but also has tendrils to do all of our schools and colleges. It's really how we build and sustain engaging relationships with people, irrespective of philanthropy is the goal. And that's a university-wide operation. Mm-hmm. My history, and I'll have you guys say as well, is in development for about 20 years and in prospect development specifically for about 14 and have worked at some smaller much smaller organizations, including in higher ed, but also in arts and culture. Yeah, this is Dan. I've been a career advancement professional. I was just kind of recapping. I think it's this is my 35th year in advancement up through the fundraising ranks, led an athletic fundraising team for one university, have a long career in plan giving, campaign director, little bit of experience in principal giving before coming back to the University of Washington three and a half years ago and then stepping into this role about a year ago. Prior to that, I served as the vice chancellor at the University of Illinois, leading the comprehensive development program there as well. And, and my lens has been exclusively large public research universities. So I've had the good fortune to work at four of those over a 35-year career. I have been at the University of Washington for more than 19 years now. It is the only higher ed experience I've had. I started as a major gifts officer working for the provost in 2000 and have had a series of roles here at UW, all at the center of the university. And I helped build and sustain the principal giving program. But for the last 14 years, prospect development and its various forms and names has been a team I've had the privilege to support and work with and see that evolution. And prior to that, I worked in other health-related nonprofits for about nine years. 
I think we keep hinting at kind of all the change that's happened recently here. So let's just talk a little bit about that without boring people to death because it's all super internal. But I think the main context, I think for me and my team, is that it's all around working on integ- really truly doing integrated advancement in the way that I think we have probably meant to do, but making it sort of official in a way that it hasn't been before. And in that process, we're also closing out a $5 billion campaign, which is significant. And how many months? Let's see, we have about seven months left before the end of that campaign. So talk a little bit about what kind of changes you all, from your perspective, have been happening in UW Advancement. Well, so I think also important to say that we are on the search for a new senior vice president, mm-hmm. right? So we're in this interim place. Our long-serving senior vice president retired after 17 years in July. That search is underway. And so Dan and a couple of our other vice presidents are co-leading in the interim while we finish out this campaign. A significant change that happened about a year ago was the consolidation of all of the fundraising and fundraising-related programs at the center of the university. So the team that Jess and I work on, Development Services, that works very collaboratively with Dan and what the units do, that coming together has been a new piece. And in many ways, this notion of what integration is like, prospect development here at UW has always embodied that. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, we're growing off of what the basis for that level of integration has looked like. And that's certainly been a hallmark of one of the reasons our program has been so successful. But there is a lot of change in the air, that's true. The other piece I would add is that as part of this longstanding senior vice president's retirement, the president asked her, Connie Kravis, our president, Anamari Kause, asked Connie to have her leadership team think about what should advancement be looking like in the future such that given that we have a high-performing, successful advancement program on behalf of the university, and such that we could recruit to that as opposed to conducting a senior vice president search and letting somebody come in and sort of completely redesign the model based on maybe what they had experienced at institutions earlier in their career. So that process is what we've called Advancement 3.0. It led to an Advancement 3.0 kind of framework for our future. And I think the two areas that I would highlight for the purpose of this podcast, we adopted the notion that more of our work in the future has to be around profound engagement and that we have to think about ways to involve stakeholders in a variety of ways with the institution. I would say stakeholders who are interested in a reciprocal relationship of some form, whether that's being a donor, whether that's being an active volunteer, whether that's being an advocate in our legislative advocacy process, but how that profound engagement space gets built out, how we measure what we're aiming at there and how we measure success there. I think that's going to be an important body of work for us going forward that is going to be done in an integrated way. And I would say our our, uh, prospect development team is going to be um, key partners in that. And then picking up on what Lee talked about in terms of how we're structured from a development standpoint, these strong programs and and this unit-based philosophy, one new opportunity we see that we hope can run in parallel with that is for us to engage the university and university academic leaders in some discussion about a handful of institutional-level priorities. We might call them university initiatives that the entire enterprise could get behind. And I, I think that could be considerable new work for us 
at the principal gift level, at the major gift level, and indeed at this sort of engagement and, and annual giving level. Mm-hmm. You just hit on something, Dan, that I, I think is kind of key for the, what's happened in the last, what, you've been here three and a half years this time around, is that in my kind of perspective, prior to you, under the great Greg Sheridan, who was here for, let's say, 15, 16, 16 years, that he really built out the staffing of all the units, right? So that every school, college, unit program, including both of our public radio stations, has at least one or two fundraisers embedded in that unit. And prior to him being here, that was not the case. And so that really changed the way prospect development did its work, right? Because now all of a sudden you've got people who need prospects that are specific to their program and like generalized prospects who look great on paper, but we don't know where they're affiliated yet aren't quite as attractive. So that completely changes the way the way that we work. And so now it's interesting to think about another iteration of potentially sort of more central people because that would also change the way that we, we do our work in terms of we have open cultivation here, which means that any prospect can be cultivated by any fundraiser. So the dynamics of that would be a new challenge for us, for sure. Let's maybe phrase it as an opportunity, Jess. Um, oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> sorry. sorry. That's what I, I meant it was exciting. I'm sure that wasn't coming across. <laughs> because it, to stand up this uh, university initiatives piece, it would be a misnomer to characterize it as building out a large team of centrally deployed fundraisers. The strategy that we're talking, actively talking with the deans and the provosts now about is what I think we would sort of think of as more of a blended model where where the success in this space is going to be predicated on the units themselves Mm -hmm. leaning in, the units themselves seeing an opportunity with these large university initiatives, the university to steal one of Lee's terms used correctly, the institution's ability or the unit's ability to co-brand their priorities Mm -hmm. around these kind of initiatives. So central to our success is going to be relying on the units and the deans to be capturing this as a priority, highlighting the importance of it, using their marketing channels to sell the opportunity, if you will, and yes, then come behind with some modest level of central staffing. But I do think it's going to, it, we're, we're going to turn to your team, Jess, and say, is there a different array of prospective donors mm-hmm. that we should be thinking about engaging with who you would look at differently if we were suggesting that we're trying to build a pool or a portfolio for university initiative versus a unit-specific mm-hmm. effort? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that didn't that didn't really come out right. But what I what I meant was sometimes we we find a great prospect and we don't know yet where they might be interested in. And I think we put a lot of time in to selling them to the units, right? Whereas potentially that time could be spent after we get to know whether they're interested, right? In Yes, and so the, the, an add-on I have just for you and your team is that one of the things I've always appreciated in my long connection to the unit because I've been a part of your team for a very long time is it feels like here at UW, prospect development is always thinking a step or two ahead of all the rest mm-hmm. of us, staying ahead of the trends we're seeing at other institutions, trying to position our structure to address those sorts of things. The example that we would make, that yeah, I look back 10 years or more when we made the decision to strategically deploy one member of your team in concert with our principal giving operations. Yes, at UW, we call it principal giving, not principal gifts, because we're focused on relationships and not just the outcome of the gift. I think we'll see more of that in the days ahead. But you talk about challenge and opportunities. So 
how do you see that opportunity for the potential for this central blended model for your team to be a part of that in a new way. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's why I think I wasn't conveying well earlier, but it's exciting to think about having another place to kind of sell and, and get some action on some prospects. It's always a push and a pull with prospect development in that we are constantly identifying new prospects and not very many of them actually get picked up and qualified, right, by units. And then constantly the units are saying to us either... One of two things, I have too many prospects and they're not that great, or I don't have enough prospects. And so, and, and all three of those things are kind of true all the time, right? And so I don't think we have kind of, we don't have so much ownership over every prospect that we send out that we're offended when they don't get picked up. But ideally, then you would have potentially another person or potentially more to kind of, to run prospects by, right? If, if we had some, now I have to pause and say we should stop. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when most of our resources are deployed into units, it's just a different feeling in terms of selling prospects than it would be to just sell a prospect to somebody who's fundraising for UW as a whole. You know, I think one of the things that makes UW unique, or at least at the unique end of the continuum of our public university partners, is our geographic location. Mm -hmm. And what's happened in Seattle, certainly over the last 15 years, if not a little longer than that, is a remarkable evolution in how our region has grown, the wealth that's been created, the focus on philanthropy, and frankly, the connectivity to our university. Mm -hmm. So you and your team have really been on the forefront with us thinking about who are we looking at that's atypical, where we're not plumbing our alumni database. And when we look at the reality that half of our donors and half of our philanthropy come from non-alumni, and we expect that number to continue to climb based on what's on this region. This notion of how do we discover new prospects is going to be a really fascinating exercise as we think about how is it that the community feels a part of this institution, irrespective of alumni or alumnus status, and how is it that prospect development is opening up new opportunities to think about what engagement looks like and how do we build those strategies? Sometimes when I talk to my colleagues across the country and I tell them how many non-alumni we identify as prospects, they're always really surprised. And then they say to me, if I tried to send those to my frontline fundraisers, they would say, don't give me this. I'm not interested. So. Well, I've been in Afri I've spoken in Afro conferences where we talk about open cultivation and there are audible gasps <laughs> yeah. in the room about the fact that for most times you can talk to anybody anytime. Right. Yeah, but I just, you know, you and I've talked about this. I believe I believe our profession is migrating to a place that fundraisers are going to increasingly rely on data-driven recommendations from their prospect development colleagues based on affinity scoring models, based on tracking the way people are connecting or not connecting with the institution. And as somebody who thinks about the staffing and the funding of a comprehensive development program a lot, it's pretty easy to look back in history and say, if you wanted to double your output, you would double the number of fundraisers and, and have some incremental growth in the, whether it was the PD area or the research area or in some other support functions. But I think most institutions are running up to a place where the resources are becoming constrained. And so for us to continue to grow fundraising production, fundraising results for our parent institutions, we're going to have to develop ways to help 
frontline fundraisers become more effective and indeed more efficient. And I think a lot of the work that your team does and continues to do will be critical to that future going forward, whether it's a unit-specific initiative or one of these comprehensive university initiatives. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little bit in terms of being a data-driven shop. We've made huge strides over the... When I think back to the beginning of this campaign, when I first arrived at UW, we didn't have analytics scores at all. We were building campaign pyramids for each of the units based on capacity rating, which is somebody's ability to give over five years to UW as a whole, which is not particularly useful if you're a small school and you've got a billionaire who might give let's say, $200,000 to your unit. We also had the same one-size-fits-all metrics for every one of our frontline fundraisers. So all three of those things have changed in this campaign. And then enter Dan, who, when you send communications to your chief advancement officers who report to you, how many? 26? I think it's 21 chief advancement officers. Often you lead with numbers, right? And that is a very different feeling from the past when often we would have led with a sports metaphor, let's say, or, um, you know, an inspirational story or something like that. And so the numbers are just floating to the top in ways that they didn't before. We've done several analyses with you that we probably would have done anyway, but they were championed by you in ways that I don't think they would have been championed potentially by your predecessor. And I think that's, that that's been difficult for some of the chief advancement officers and welcomed by others. So I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that sort of change. Well, I didn't, you know, wasn't here at the beginning of the campaign, so I can't comment mm-hmm. on what the change, you know, what the pace of that change was. But it is true. I focus on the numbers, not so much just for the number itself, but the number as being as the number being representative or the KPIs being representative of the impact the University of Washington can have in our community, in our region, and our state, and around the world through the private support that the advancement team is helping to facilitate. So, and that to me is job one. I think not to be transactional, but we are also not in We are not in the business of fostering relationships just for the sake of fostering relationships. We are in the business of fostering relationships with intention, with purpose, inviting people to partner with the university or through one of its units in ways that are meaningful to those individuals, to those corporations, to those private foundations that are our funders. So yeah, I, I, I feel like we have stressed that. But again, a lot of it for me is a recognition that if I'm going to go argue for resources, significant resources to build out the next phase in our development, I have to be able to demonstrate to leadership that the existing team is performing at peak or near peak Mm -hmm. optimization. There's just no longer at the university surplus resources that can easily be dedicated to advancement. Mm -hmm. In that same vein, just one of the things I've reflected on as we were thinking about the end of the campaign is the evolved role of what prospect development, which has gone by many names here at the University <laughs> of Washington, I suspect everywhere, but PD these days, what prospect development has done is, in this campaign even, is, is to move from the provision of data that tells us about people's wealth, 
to the capacity to be a powerful strategic partner to drive behavior and efficiencies. Mm -hmm. So the evolution of analytics as an example is but one way that we help people determine, fundraisers determine where she or he or they are best able to spend their time, where they can see the biggest bang for their buck, where we can see the return on investment that drives both the big gifts and the movement towards big gifts. And the partnership with prospect development has been really critical. And I think that you all have always been a couple of steps ahead of the fundraisers, rightly so, on thinking what comes next. And so, yes, we're now focused on thinking about some of the metrics and reporting about the campaign, but we're already in conversation about how do we prepare for the next campaign and what does it look like in this world of too much data and how do we take the data and drive it to something good? And a note of congratulations and a point of great pride for me in supporting your team is what it's been to move from this place of here's a piece of information to here's how we can recommend that you focus your behavior and energies and efficiencies. And one of the things that's really powerful about our alignment and our partnership with our unit and school colleagues is that they embrace the members of your team as members of their team. And I think that is a hallmark of one of the things that has made us a really well-integrated development shop is that Dan's team in the business school thinks actively about the member of your team or the members of your teams who support them from a metrics and a tracking standpoint, from a fundraising management standpoint, from a prospect development standpoint, from a portfolio development. They welcome them as a part of their group. And when I hear stories about our colleagues at these schools and colleges going away for a day-long retreat to plan the year, and I know that they've invited a member or two of prospect development, either on the tracking or research side, to be a part of that, that tells me that they see value in enterprise to help drive their behavior. So our challenge always, as the world is moving, is how do we stay ahead of it? And I think that we're doing a really nice job now of asking the right questions, even if we don't know what the strategies are going to be. So as we think about concluding this campaign, and I look back at where we've been, prospect development at UW was always ahead of the curve and getting us ready for this campaign, but throughout the course of this campaign have changed massively how we think about tracking that data, how the metrics have done. You co-led with a fundraisers, that task force where we reimagined what it would look like to have metrics for people that were much more discreet about job performance, a lot less one-size-fits-all where we can help people succeed. Mm-hmm. Lee stole several things that I <laughs> wanted to say, because, but I, I, but I, that well. but I want to acknowledge that because I want to amplify, I want to go here, here to everything that Lee just said. And I think in the spirit of staying ahead as we look at the next campaign for Washington and we look at the changing demographics of our prospective pool of individual donors, Mm -hmm. these are people that are going to feel perhaps not an inherent sense of loyalty to the institution. So I'm thinking particularly here, well, no, I'm thinking individuals, but alumni who are not, who aren't necessarily predisposed to thinking of the University of Washington through a what I call a hail alma mater loyalty lens, who are going to be interested in seeing what the university is doing around social issues, social causes that they care about. We sort of coin that a give through as opposed to give to. But I think your team is going to be is going to be critical in helping leadership analyze and understand what some of those opportunities are going to look like. And I would amplify that with the explosion in Seattle, now thinking about non-alumni individuals, the explosion in Seattle of young tech and entrepreneurship-oriented wealth, 
who again are going to have moved to Seattle, they're going to adopt Seattle, and is there a possibility for them to adopt to the University of Washington as being one of those sort of cause-oriented partners that they may want to align with? And I, again, I see your team helping to inform leadership and sort of guide leadership in, in that way. The second thing I really want to stress that Lee said is the teams see you, the unit teams see your team as a true extension of their team. And in part, that's why I've been careful to, to I will deliver the message about contact reports not being filed in a timely manner. I'll deliver the message about new metrics. I'll deliver the message around KPIs because what I want them to see your team as is an enabler. I want them to see your team as a partner that they can go to and say, all right, we know we've got some different targets to hit. How can we do that, Jess? How can we do that. And I think that's a nice partnership. I think that's a nice combination, uh, a nice partnership that we have here that I have seen other places where people in your role play the role of the heavy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They play the role of being a little bit of the vice principal, if you will. And I'm not, I think what you will get is a little bit of a compliance mentality there, mm -hmm. as opposed to this model that we have here, hopefully Hopefully, the compliance piece is coming from me to the units, and the commitment piece is the units turning around to you and saying, help me be successful, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let's uh, dig into that, because I, I think that our colleagues, my colleagues, will be very interested in hearing how we build that here, because it's a very common challenge. And what I've noticed is that both of you independently are very willing to encourage people to file contact reports in a very direct way. And so, Dan, I, I've noticed what you do is, well, that's visible to me, is that you'll send all fundraiser emails or all chief advancement officer emails that say things like, you know, I actually have a quote here. Hold on. Our best work is done together, which, which is one of our advancement values. In order for us to work together, we need to be timely in filing our contact reports. I will never forget Connie, our former senior vice president, dictating contact reports in the car on the way back to the office from donor visits. I urge you to be disciplined here. Our collective success depends on it. And you go on to say that if we want to work in a place with open cultivation, we need to be transparent in filing our strategies and our proposals as well. And so you're bringing it back to the reason we're doing this is because the relationship with the prospect belongs to the university and not to the individual fundraiser, and that it's, I have heard you also say it's disrespectful to the donor to not capture what happened in that conversation, because what happens then is the successor comes along and doesn't know, and your colleagues currently also don't know what's happening. Uh, and so to honor and respect that relationship, it's incumbent on them to file those great contact reports. And then Lee, for your part, I've noticed you, and I actually have a quote for this as well, hold on. You're full of quotes today, Jess. I love it. Uh, this is an email that you sent to a fundraiser, a very senior fundraiser, saying, I certainly don't mean to be pesky, but part of my advocacy is in service to data and the importance it plays in building out strategies, tactics, and gift conversations. I appreciate, acknowledge, and understand the delirium mentioned below. Oh, he said, I am deliriously behind on contact reports. <laughs> and this is your response. And yet, find myself hoping that you can find time to bring current all your contact reports for your interactions with these prospects. 
and no doubt many of the other appointments and conversations you have had. How can we assist? Thanks, and please, no, I mean no disrespect. And I believe you forwarded this to me after you sent that. That's a powerful communication. So we all work with peers across the country, and we all feel strongly about our institution. I, I truly think one of the things that sets UW apart is this focus on open cultivation and trying to live that. And that's absolutely predicated on the notion that in our realm, information is the gold coin. And if we're not sharing that information, then we're not being honest about how we see the complexities of relationships. And I've talked to many donors over the last 20 years who have confirmed that they like the complex nature of their relationship and very rarely do they want that curated. In order to be honest about that and for all of us to be in the best position to advance relationships matter, we need to know what's going on and we need to be honest about that. And largely we've been very successful at that. I That is a, an outcome of many years, if not decades, of work in that space. And when I think about where we started 20 years ago, we clearly were not at this space. Mm -hmm. We have ways to go yet, but most people value that. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge a, a compliment for you and your team, Jess, is that you guys live this notion of secular approach to this work as a part and parcel of who you are, which is one of the reasons you, you have built and sustained these relationships of trust with these folks. And I think the opportunity in the campaign moving forward is going to be partially predicated on how you all think about how that work can move to a new space as we advance with this digital piece. So you've got two folks here who are fully supporting what folks have to disclose and still looking to your team to help us figure out where we could go. So I would respectfully dissent or disagree with one of the things Lee said here. I think the University of Washington has a long ways to go in timely filing of contact reports. A long ways to go. I recall my first year here, I saw a statistic that said something like 15 or 20 percent of all the contact reports for the year had been filed in the last month of the fiscal year. It was people playing games to meet numbers. Okay, and. That is antithetical to the culture that we're trying to build here. That is not being respectful to each other. It's not being respectful to the donors or the prospective donors. So I think, there's, I think there are ways that we can get better there. We're undertaking a CRM convert. Well, we're undertaking a conversion from a database advance to a state-of-the-art CRM. And my hope is that, for instance, the prospect development team and the development programs team can be leaders in helping make sure that that product that we purchase makes it easier for frontline fundraisers and administrative professionals to put contact reports in in real time. I mean, I, I hear people frustrated that they can't do something on their device. Fine, we'll take that excuse away from them, right? <laughs> but I think, there's, I think there's, there is significant room for improvement at the university in that space of contact reports. And I'm probably going to be a broken record on it and, until I retire out of here. So <laughs> Please keep doing that. And yes. your point well taken. My, <laughs> my, my counterpoint is, while that is in fact true, if we look back historically, we are way better than we used to be. So that doesn't mean we don't still have growth. And it may be that, Dan, you and I were just in your office talking about a colleague who was complaining about the fact that it wasn't in advance and said colleague is arguably the worst filer of contact reports. And we both looked at each other and said, my response might be something like, that's the pot calling the kettle black. 
But we didn't do that. We just talked about that. And there were no names mentioned. Right. So if any of our colleagues are listening, it could have been you. Yeah. <laughs> and I worked for somebody once who said, if you think my statement, Lee's statement, was intended for you, it probably was. <laughs> I just want to note for the record that our contact report form does work on mobile. So Ooh, I'll be reinforcing so, that in my next you. message. <laughs> I appreciate that. Do you have other topics up here that you want to, that we didn't hit on? I was going to move on to number three, advocacy. Well, I do. I, I came into the University of Washington at the point right before the university went public with the campaign. So a lot of the staffing buildup and things like that had been done before I arrived. But I do want to acknowledge on behalf of Greg Sheridan, my predecessor, the work that prospect development, research and analytics, I would say early analytics, those three, that collectively the work that you did to help paint the picture of what the prospect pools could look like and therefore help to inform the early working goal for the campaign of $4 billion. I mean, there was some fundamental work that your team put into that that I didn't participate in. I saw the benefit of it, and, and where I saw it, Jess, was when I came in, you'll recall that we had an advancement funding work group that the provost stood up. And the provost, as part of the campaign build-out, had invested some permanent money in advancement and some temporary money, and this work group was designed to look for strategies on how to replace that temporary money. But I saw through the provost office records and files the work that, or the work that your team did that Greg Sheridan relied on in making the case for that significant investment from the, the provost office. And, and it was needed, it was helpful, ultimately it was successful in helping to generate resources that allowed us to build out our team, particularly frontline fundraisers, in a pretty significant way. And then the other piece of it was the resources that we got weren't as much as we were hoping for, quite a bit less. And so as I understand it, Greg, in partnership with some of the rest of you, sort of pivoted and you guys intentionally looked at a strategy of adding frontline fundraisers at a bit lower level in terms of experience, right? And I think then the work just that you and your team, back to that partnership, did to help those frontline fundraisers become successful through the portfolio development process, those regular meetings you had with all new frontline fundraisers, through the annual top 25 process, but I think even just your secret sauce to success presentation that you've probably given at APRA and, and that we have here within our intranet site, all of those were tools that helped the team become successful in that early stage of the campaign. I didn't participate in any of that, but I saw it all as I came in and landed and, and started to take off. That's great to hear. Glad to know that stuff lives on. Yeah. I think one of the things, and speaking of being data-driven, one of the things that you have implemented that wasn't around before was whenever there's a significant vacancy in a unit, usually at the chief advancement officer level, then you have us do some kind of analysis to say, should we rehire for this position or should we rethink? Is there a moment to rethink the whole staffing level for the unit? And that's been a really, I mean, that's been an honor, really, for us to be involved at that level. 
And I imagine you've probably received some pushback when you deliver those to the the advancement staff because like all data, it's imperfect in, in a million ways, right? If we look at the at the pool and we say there's 700 prospects in the pool for this unit, they might say, oh, well, uh, actually, there's several more that I need to add or, you know, actually 500 of those are not good, so we should disregard them. I, I'm speaking off the cuff now, but what have those conversations looked like? I think, truthfully, they've been as hard at the dean level, okay? And one thing I've realized over time is deans are very data-driven. Our our fundraising consultant, Martin Grenzenbach, I remember Martin talking about that 20 years ago. So some of the harder conversations have actually been with the deans who think they, who just sort of have this gut reaction, gut perception that they continue to need a team that's of a certain size. And it's almost like there's dean envy so it's almost sort of a, it's almost sort of a, well, my college is as big as that college, so therefore my advancement team needs to be as big. It's a little bit of that. The data has been super helpful in being able to, being able to force a more real, a more rigorous conversation. There's no secret that I have a strong relationship with our pharmacy dean right now. Probably just finished his term as the chair of the board of deans and chancellors. Very influential gentleman. And he's an economist by training, right? He's a health economist by training. And I would say this to Sean Sullivan if he were here in the room. You know, Sean has been a pusher for his team being a certain size as he looks at other schools. But when we've taken the conversation back to what the analysis shows then it changes the discussion. And he isn't giving up, but what he's asking Claire, the chief advancement officer and others, is to think about ways that they can be trying to broaden the prospect pool through engagement strategies in order to then justify you know, that next gift officer, in order to get the pool rich enough to justify that Next gift officer. Yeah, that was great. Lee, Lee is fumbling with things on the table. <laughs> yeah, so I know that we have a limited bit of yep. time. And, yep. and, and one of the things I want to ask you about, Jess, that I think is an important point is we work really hard to try to integrate our teams in the sense that we're all connected and that the notion that it takes a village is absolutely true. And we work to ensure that our prospect development colleagues feel and understand and know that we see the value in their enterprise from stem to stern in this organization. How does your team feel about being a part of our fundraising enterprise and what could we continue to do or what advice can we offer to our podcast listeners about how to demonstrate genuine, authentic gratitude and thanks for the role that our prospect development group plays Mm -hmm. in our fundraising Mm -hmm. success? Great question. I think that the type of recognition that you give the team already is very powerful. I mean, partially just because it's coming from you, right? The grand boss of prospect development. <laughs> but also because you you always make a great effort to be specific about the praise, right? So recently we got a very significant gift that was announced in the papers as a part of a, a research funding effort in, in collaboration with UC Berkeley and UCSF. And you made a very distinct point to bring that back around to the person who did the research initially on that prospect, who was very new to us within the last six months mm-hmm. even. And so that that one was easy, easier than some in that it didn't take 10 years to come around and we, we still know who did the research just off the top of our heads. But pulling big gifts back to how especially prospect research played a role in finding those prospects and finding the right spot for them is totally key. And, and it's very powerful coming from either of you. 
I had a stop at Oregon State University, worked with the OSU Foundation for a number of years, and a much uh, smaller enterprise than the University of Washington, small enough that on a monthly basis, you could get all your fundraisers in one room, mm -hmm. right, and have a conversation. And I'll never forget the that about once a quarter, there would be the anatomy of a gift exercise where everybody who had touched the gift was in the front of the room and they described the process. They took the check and took the check all the way back oh, to the great. beginning and acknowledged if it was a research thread that led to the prospect development person suggesting it to the portfolio, to then the gift officer, and then into the gift processor. And right, it, it, it was really a it was really a lovely, tangible, visible exercise that reminded the team several times a year of the importance of not only your team's work, but that then the collective mm -hmm. enterprise working together. That's nice. Yeah. You just reminded me that we've done that at our retreats before. So we'll pull in a couple of gift officers and just have them tell a story about a great gift that they got and what role prospect development played in them. I think another way to tie the prospect development team back is just to tie them to the mission. And Lee, you've done a great job with that by kind of hosting us at different what is the name you had for them? Mission-based gatherings, yeah, right? Yeah. Over the years where we just do a deep dive. And so even the person who doesn't staff, let's say university libraries, still gets to come and do a deep dive oh, into the right special collections. And tying back to mission is so important, especially for back office people like us. And so we make a, a real effort to do that. One of the celebratory things for your leadership and Sue's leadership and Kelly Ryuta's leadership, who's also part of the leadership of, of your program, is the tenure on the prospect development group it's got to be i mean it would it's be like an average of seven 17. seven years i believe yeah um, and, and we've got some that's who are, median that's median and we've got some <laughs> in the 30 and 35 and that speaks right. to the fact that they find an opportunity to advance their careers to tackle new challenges to feel hopefully great gratitude that comes towards them for their work and we want futurists we want people who help us think about what the world is going to look like, and I have long believed that we have no more, uh, no more powerful group of futurists than the folks who work on our prospect development team, and it's not about what we're learning about people's wealth, necessarily, though that could be a part of it. It's about how we understand how people give. It's how we understand how people's interests evolve over time, how inter university intersection with that looks differently, how we're tracking that information, what data tells us about people's behavior. We're talking a lot about research, but the, the trackers on your group provide a significant function for our ability to help people understand where they're performing well, where they have opportunities to grow, what it means to track that information. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the business of information as the gold claim of the realm. So whatever information we can get and however we can deploy it will be useful. And your team is always thinking about that ahead of everybody else. Thank you. That's great to hear. Any last thoughts? Through the years, I've had the good fortune to be at four great institutions, but in that history, I've worked alongside of the consulting firm GGNA with Martin Grenzenbach, with Bruce Flessner, formerly at Ben Swaley Flessner, a little bit of experience with Martin Lundy. And through those, they all have sort of a, a way that they talk about how do you ensure fundraising success. And for me, I took the compilation of those things, what I learned from those three firms, and I boiled it down into what I call the four predictors of fundraising success. And that is very quickly, number one, compelling case for support that's well communicated across all channels. Number two, committed leaders, both inside and external to the organization. Number three, 
engage stakeholders, and number four, the engines, the staff, the system, the infrastructure, the policies, all of those things. The work that your team does, Jess, in the prospect development space, the work that our APRA professional cohort does is critical to that third predictor of fundraising success, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember being at WSU when Martin Grenzenbach said at our beginning of our first campaign in 1990, he said, you won't fail in this campaign because you don't have a good case for support or because we don't have the right leadership or that we don't have the right team put in place. If we fail, we will fail because we don't have a sufficient pool of prospective donors mm -hmm. appropriately engaged. Mm -hmm. That's when these programs go south. Mm -hmm. And so to Lee's point, all the sort of future-oriented work that your team does to help us think about that and always be ahead of that, hugely yeah. valuable, hugely valuable. Thank you. That's inspiring. Thank you. I want to leave with one more parting thought, which is maybe not quite as big and grand as what you guys have both been saying, but I think it's significant to think about the things that we don't do as a prospect development shop. And I always feel like you guys have my back when I come to you and say, we're not going to be doing this kind of work because even though we have 17 people in prospect development, it's a large shop. We still have some of the highest ratios in the industry. So like our prospect management side is handling 50 to 60 fundraisers each. And on the research side, it's 20 to 30. And sometimes our colleagues look at us like we're nuts when we say that, right? But there are certain things that we don't do, like do briefings for deans, do event bios. I think there are some shops across the country where they have whole positions dedicated to this kind of work. So that's another kind of, of advocacy that as I was preparing for this, I thought of, gosh, I feel like if I make a reasoned case and I bring it to, I don't think I've ever received some kind of like, well, no, you have to keep doing that, right? And recently, this came up because I was reading one of Lee's contact reports, and I said, Lee, I think this contact report got cut off. I think there's a cut and paste error, which happens. And you said, gosh, I love that you guys read the contact reports. And I was like, Lee, I think we're probably not going to be doing <laughs> reading every contact report for much longer. And I loved your response. It was like, of course not. You know, you guys can make that decision. I just... Well, so I think that's right. the point, Jess, is right. that not only have you earned the right, but we have an expectation that you are the experts in your space. And our job is to advocate about what's going to make you be even more expert. So when you come to us and say, we think we should stop doing X or start doing Y, we're going to listen to that because you've proven that you know more about that than we do. And that's what we want you and your team to be. And that's what our advocacy is about, is unleashing the best that can be. And we can't be the experts. That's you guys. Mm -hmm. That's powerful, right? I mean, not every leader is comfortable taking that stance. So thank you both. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.